And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. After the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sold pottage, uh, uh, sod pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with the same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do me? And Jacob swear, said, Swear to me this day. And he sware to him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. For a few moments I want to talk about the bitter taste of pea soup. <laughs> the bitter taste of pea soup. I read a story some time ago about two men. They're out in the woods, and they were sitting on a log. And that log dislodged itself, and one man fell backwards. And the other man tried to outrun that log running, rolling down the, the hill through that forest. And the man that fell at the back of the log was in utter distress as he watched that log overtake his friend and crush him literally to death. The story is one man was seated on the right side of the log. Another man was seated on the wrong side of the log. With that being said, we read a story this morning about two twins, and all due respect, one was seated on the right side of the log, the other was seated on the wrong side of the log. The Bible said in verse 34 that Esau despised his birthright. He despised his birthright. He gave his birthright away. Now the word for despise in the Greek means to bring to naught, reduce to nothing, properly cast out as nothing, to set at naught, uh, to count as nothing, uh, to treat with utter contempt. Uh, to contempt, to regard something as lacking any standing value. He did not have sense enough to understand what it was that he was giving away. He was giving away his future. He was giving away his possession. He was giving away his standing before God. He was giving all that away for a bowl of pea soup. Uh, he gave it all away. He gave, he gave it all away for to fulfill the, 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 the growl of his belly, if you will, because he was so hungry. Not only was his head empty, his belly was empty. Uh, the reason for that is because he had some heart issues along the way. He considered his birthright worthless. He gave away his birthright. He traded something of great value for a bowl of soup. You see, as the firstborn son of the family, Esau was entitled to special privileges that other siblings within the family would never know about. He gave away the birthright. He gave away those privileges along the way. Notice, if you will, he gave away the privilege of being a priest. Think about that for a moment. The firstborn was especially consecrated or consecrated uh, to the Almighty God. In families of that day that did not know the Lord, those that did not keep the commandments, that did not keep or know the law of Moses, often the firstborn in those pagan families would take their firstborn son and sacrifice it to some pagan deity or to some pagan god along the way. 
But that was not the case for Esau. And the reason being, he was in a good home, a Jewish home, who knew the law, and therefore the firstborn son of every Jewish family was consecrated solely to the Lord and dedicated to the things of God. With that being said, uh, he would have the privilege of representing his family uh, before God as the priest of the entire family. Later on, that would be transferred over uh, to the tribe of Levi, but for right now, Esau is the firstborn. He would be the priest of the entire household. Uh, that was very important. But he sold his birthright, and he gave up the privilege of being a priest to his family. More than that, he gave up a double portion of his father's estate. When the father of the state died, it was divided equally, if you will, uh, not equally, but divided among the siblings. And the firstborn usually got twice as much uh, in the inheritance as did the other siblings. Uh, for instance, uh, we, we know according to the Word of God, if a man had two sons, the estate would be divided into thirds. Uh, the younger would get one third, and the older would get two thirds of the estate. If there were three children, it would be divided in fourths. Uh, the sibling, uh, the one sibling, the two siblings would get uh, one fourth apiece, uh, but the third, the first sibling uh, would get two fourths. And depending on how many kids, that's the way that it went down the line. But Esau gave away uh, that inheritance there for a bowl of pea soup. Now, for Esau, the estate also included the promised land. In other words, you have future promises, Esau, that you inherited from your father. But understand this, Abraham and Isaac had been given promises that they would inherit a tremendous land. But Esau kind of scratched his head and said, you know what? My daddy and my granddaddy had the promises, but all they have to show for it is a graveyard here in this land. There is no promise here, just a grave long, a graveyard, a, a place where uh, they're pushing up daisies because they're all dead and gone. He said, my belly's growling. I need something to eat. I'm not worried about promises out there. I need something to satisfy the here and the now. And Esau sold out the promises of God because he couldn't see beyond the graveyard. He could only smell the soup and see what he needed for that day. And a man like Esau, the promises of God did not mean a thing to him. He sold his birthright. He gave up the priesthood and he gave up the promises of the Almighty God for the future. But only that I remind you, thirdly, he gave up power. He gave up his authority to be the head of the entire family of that day. You see, in the father's absence, the firstborn son had the authority over the younger siblings. But not only did they have the authority over them, they had the responsibility to care for them. It would have been Esau's responsibility to take care of his mother until the day that she died. It would have been Esau's responsibility to take care of his sisters until they married. That may be the reason that the firstborn received a double portion of the inheritance that he had uh, during that particular time. Esau had it all. He was set for life, so to speak, but he fell off the log on the wrong direction, if you get what I'm trying to say. As the firstborn, he had the power uh, and the promises of God, and he also had the priesthood. And he traded them all away for a bowl of soup. After all, uh, he was the priest. Who wanted to be a priest uh, like Esau? Who wanted the promises for God uh, down in the future? 
future when he can have a bowl of soup right now? Who cared about having authority and having responsibility for a family if you're a man like Esau was in that day? He was hungry. He needed something uh, to feed his faith, something to satisfy uh, the growl in his belly. He valued only the momentary things that he had in life uh, at the expense of having a full belly, and he gave something of lasting value up for something that had a temporary value at all. Friends, Esau sold his birthright. Friends, we need to be careful lest we in modern day Christianity do something almost the same way as did Esau. Don't trade away your privileges in Christ for momentary pleasures. Don't exchange something of infinite value and eternal value uh, for some cheap thrill uh, here today. Don't settle for what you have when God said, I promised you so much more. Uh, people do that often in the Bible. They gave away so much to receive so little. History has been full of men and women uh, who have sold out for a drink, uh, who have sold out for the flirt of a woman, who have sold out for the popularity of the day. I have a friend that invited me to church many, many years ago that was instrumental in leading me to Jesus when he himself is not a Christian to this day. But he was instrumental in my salvation because he invited me to Assembly of God Church where the God was being preached. I went to him time and time again, will you give your heart to the Lord? I can't. I'm working in the bank and I've got the social drink. He gave his soul for social drinking. There have been many people in this world that have sacrificed the eternal for something of pleasure here and now. The Bible is full of examples over and over and over and over away. Giving away something of value for something worthless. Uh, trading eternal value for something that's temporary. Giving away future promises for something that's tangible right here in the present today. And giving away, in essence, the birthright. We see that Eve was there in the Garden of Eden and she could have partaken of the tree of life, but no, she fell off the log and she partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We see that Achan sacrificed the unity of the nation of Israel for the lust that was in his heart, the wrong side of the log. We see that Samson sacrificed the anointing of the Spirit of God for the wink of a beautiful girl. He fell off the wrong side of the log. We read in the Word of God how that uh, Judas, uh, he loved the 30 pieces of silver more than he loved Jesus Christ. He fell off the wrong side of the log. We see that Peter had an anointing of God upon him and said, I'll never leave you. I'll never deny you, Lord. And he denied the Lord, fell off the wrong side of the log. Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to themselves. They lied to the congregation. They lied to the Holy Spirit. They fell off the side of the, of the wrong side of the log. We look at Demas who had it all, but Demas forsook Paul. Uh, going back to the beggary elements of the world, he in turn, he fell off the wrong side of the log. Every one of us in Christ, we have a birthright. We are heirs with God, and we are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ of glory. We begin special privileges, if you will, because we are the firstborn children of the living God. Don't sacrifice sacrifices the promises of God for the present happiness that you may have. Don't let passion take the place of patience. Don't let the temporal take place of the eternal. And don't allow anyone to rob you of your position in Jesus Christ the Lord. I remind you, you are somebody, not because of the color of your skin, not because of the money in your pocket, not because of the car you drive, not because of the neighborhood you live in. You are somebody because you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ the Lord, and you are somebody in Jesus Christ the Lord this morning. Don't let nobody steal your birthright. Let nobody steal your position in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are seated together in heavenly places with the Lord Jesus Christ of glory. 
Be diligent and be focused upon the goal. You've been given a birthright, and Satan and his imps of hell is happy to rob you of it, to kill you from it, to keep you from it, and to destroy you while you're trying to enjoy it. If we're not careful, we'll hand over our birthright to the devil on a silver platter. The Bible says, make every effort to live in peace with all men. To be holy without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God, that no bitter roots grow up and cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. Like Esau, we've been given an inheritance. But like Esau, if we're not careful, we can give it away. Like Esau, we have the right as a priest unto the Almighty God. We have to fight to have the right to keep the promises of God before us. And after all, the promises of God are not maybe so. The promises of God are yes, and they are amen. The Bible warns us here in verse 16, see that no one, see that no one as godless like Esau for a single meal sold his inheritance rights. Beloved, do not sell your priesthood as did Esau. Don't trade your opportunity for a direct access to the living God for momentary pleasures of this world. For just like the firstborn in ancient Israel, we have been set apart wholly for God's service and God's use. And we've been especially consecrated to give our lives over to Him. It's not just enough to be saved. God wants us saved that He might use us in the hour that we live. He has given us power and He has given us authority to use the name of Jesus, to use the Word of God, to be lights in a dark world, to be salt to a world that needs some flavor to it, and to let our light shine that people can see that Jesus that can save their soul. The word holiness here in verse 14 means to set apart from sin unto God. You are a saint this morning. Not because of anything you've done. You are a saint. You don't have to die to become a saint. You are a saint because you have been sanctified in Christ Jesus the Lord. You have been set apart from sin and been set apart to the service of God. It's not just enough to say, I'm saved. He wants us filled with the power of the Lord that we might do great exploits for Him. That's our position in Christ. God looks on those of us who have been trusted in Him as holy ones and those who have been set apart for special use. Otherwise, look at verse 14. We would never be able to see Him if we were not sanctified through His power and His blood. According to the Word of God, the moment we put our trust in Jesus Christ... As moment we put our trust in Jesus Christ, God declared us holy. He did not make us holy. He declared us holy. That's a legal term. When he sees me with all my imperfections, and that old Adam still in there just like he is in you, he sees the blood of Christ. I'm sanctified through thy word. Thy word is truth. Thank God for that this morning. We're set apart for God's special use that we might be like Him. I read a story some time ago where it said here in verse 14, make every effort to be holy. But I read a story some time ago about a university football coach. University football coach was in the, they were in, in a game on a Saturday and his first string quarterback, he was hurt in, the, in about the third quarter or so. And then he put second, uh, the second string quarterback in and, and he got hurt. 
So then they went to practice on Monday morning, and all of a sudden, he takes the third-string quarterback and makes him first-string quarterback. And he said, man, we got a big game on Friday, and you got just four days to get ready for that game. And five minutes into the practice, the third-string quarterback got an E energy. So now they bring the fourth-string quarterback in. He's first-string. He played the day, and then on Tuesday, he got hurt. So now he goes to the fifth-string quarterback, and he brought all the team together, and he said, Son, do you believe in magic? And the old fifth-string quarterback said, Well, sort of. And he went, Abracadabra, poof, you're now a first-string quarterback. <laughs> he had four days to get that fifth-string quarterback in shape for the game on the following Saturday. He had four days to get him in shape at all those practices. The only difference is practice for us takes much longer. We spend a lifetime getting ready for the game that God has. And sometimes we don't want to go to practice to get in shape. We don't want to study the playbook to get in shape. We don't want to have any conversation with the coach to get in shape. We just think by virtue of putting on the uniform, bless God, I'm ready to do this thing. It don't happen that way, friend. You don't become a fifth-string quarterback and become a first-string overnight. It takes time. And the way it is in your world and mine, God has saved us. Many of us have been sitting on the bench a long time being there part of the uniform and think we're part of the team. But God wants to take every one of us from fifth-string and put us up into the first-string position. And in order to do that, we have got to spend some time in the playbook that the coach gives us, and that is the Word of God. We've got to know what John 3.16 means when you get up and say, ah, Ready, down, set, here comes the devil, boom. And we quote the word of God, no weapon formed against me is going to prosper, and we defeat him. But if we don't enter the game of life and we don't know God's playbook, we're going to be eaten up by the enemy of our soul. And it's important that you and I listen to our coach, the Holy Spirit of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, that we become knowing who he is, and there'll be a certain amount of disciplines involved as well. If you're on a football team, you just don't show up and play the game. You need to be out there practice every day of your life, running the sprints, doing the exercise, doing the drills, going over the plays again and again and again. And yet many of us, we want to be on the first string, brothers and sisters, but many times we don't listen to the coach, we don't read the playbooks, we don't memorize the promises of God, and not only that, we don't want to come to church where the rest of the team is. Come on. We need to be where the team is. We need to be here at the time the doors are open. And every time we are in the house of God without an excuse, legitimately, we're voting to close the doors. Hear me this morning. I'm not trying to be hard. I'm trying to be honest. There are more churches that don't have service on Sunday night than those that do among Pentecostals. And that used to never happen. Their church is now getting rid of Wednesday night because people can't show up. What in the world do we have that's so important? I love loosely and I love loosely. We'll be there some other time. We need to come together as people of God, of like precious faith. We need to understand the playbook together, know the voice of God together, know the promises of God together, and hide it deep within our heart so that when our attacks are out there, when one suffers, we all suffer for the glory of God. But we know who the enemy is, and we're able to overcome him. Are we going to practice with the rest of the team? All this gets us ready to be used of God in significant ways, not just to come and sit on the bench but he wants to use us in the game. How often we exchange the privilege of prayer and Bible study for something we want to do right here and now. How often we stay home because we are tired, we deserve to rest, and God knows I understand that.
when we ought to make a sacrifice to come back to be where the people of God are because we need each other. It's not what can I get out of it. It's what can I put into it. It's not what I come here and say, well, I wasn't blessed. Friend, you were blessed long before you got here. And it's time we just show up and give blessings to the God who gave them to us. He wants us to be more than just saved. He wants us to be powered that we might be used in this hour. Don't try to lose your birthright. How often we exchange the privilege of prayer and Bible study for a busy pursuing stuff that has no lasting value and no lasting satisfaction. Don't do it. Don't sell your birthright for a bowl of modern day stew. Don't sell your priesthood. Secondly, don't sell, sell the promises of God as did Esau. Don't trade your right to discover and enjoy all that God's promised you for the cheap thrills of this world. For just like the firstborn in ancient society, we too have an inheritance. And just like Esau, the inheritance includes promises that we know, but we've not accepted yet. God doesn't pay on the first and the fifteenth of every month, brothers and sisters. The promises of God are just that, promises. He's promised to come back. He hasn't yet. That don't mean he's not going to. He's promised to raise the dead. He's not done it yet as far as the redeemed are concerned, but he's promised he's going to. We stand on the promises. And we have hope, but hope deferred makes the heart sick. But there are times I go to God in prayer. I remind you, Lord, of the promise you made, the promise you gave, the way you fulfilled it, the way you confirmed it. God, I'm not going to let no devil, I'm not going to let no circumstance, I'm not going to let time evade it or rob me from what God said is mine. If you want to give them, quit, go for it. But I'm standing on the promises of God. Come devil, come hell, come high water. Why? Because I've talked to the coach. Amen. I've read the playbook. I understand the promises of God are yea and they are amen. And we don't need to be duped out of them, deceived out of them, or talked out of them. We simply stand upon them. Verse 15 says, See, no one misses the grace of God. We don't deserve them, but God delights in fulfilling his promises for his children. In other words, don't fail to claim God's gracious promises for yourself. Don't fail to trust God to keep his word in your life. Brothers and sisters, I ask myself, does the church really know our God? Do we really know our God? Do we know he's going to fulfill the promise or do we have doubts? Come on, let's be honest. Signs and wonders should follow the church of God, but often doubts, fear, and worry follow we as Christians. Is it all right? It's not all right, but is it all right? Do we know our God? I ask myself, Lord, do I really know you? I've served you for 40-some years. Do I really, really know you? Do I have that trust that no matter what comes my way, I know this is going to be fulfilled? I know exactly what you've promised me, and yet it seems a million miles away. But God, do I know you well enough to say, you don't lie. You don't renege on your promises. And when the devil sits on your shoulder saying you're a fool to believe, oh, that's the time I say, look out. We must be getting close to a fulfillment. You know why? Because if the, if, the, if the promise was so far away, why would the devil keep reminding you that's far away? Every time his mouth moving, he's lying. We all come short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect, but none of us need to come short of the grace of God. We don't earn it. We don't merit it. God gives it. 
And no one needs to miss out on enjoying the promises of God, yet so many times we do. I read a story about a Native American Indian who was out in the wilderness or the deserts out west and he was half-baked and half-naked and poor and, and dirty, enough dirt in his fingernails to start a subdivision. Hair all oily and greasy, hadn't had a bath in ages it seemed like, and he was hungry and tired, and he, he managed to go into a, one of the old western towns. And all the people gathered around him, and they bathed him, and they fed him, and they watered him, and, and they tried to love on him, and they, they, he, was, he, he spoke fluid English. And, and people just loved him. And once they got him back to normal and food in his belly and watered him up real well, they noticed around his neck was an old soiled pouch with a red ribbon around it. And they asked him what it was. He said, oh, that was a good luck charm I received many, many years ago when I was young. And he opened it up, and inside was a greasy piece of paper. And the man, the man had ridden with the United States Calvary back in the day as a scout. And in that greasy piece of paper, there was an honorable discharge written by General George Washington, which in turn permitted that man to have all the pension and everything that the United States military was supposed to have. Here he was living with a promise in his neck, but not in his life. And how many times in our lives that we place God's promises upon our refrigerator, we have promises mounted upon the wall, we have promises written on our, on our mirrors, we have promises everywhere hanging and dangling, but we don't have them fulfilled in our life. Let me tell you, friend, it's not just enough to hang them up on the wall so they don't think they look pretty. It's good enough to appropriate them so that they might be fulfilled within our life, okay? Once again, hold on to the promises of the living God. God, give us an inheritance of our promises. We walk around in spiritual poverty most of the time of our life not knowing who we really are. There are hundreds and hundreds of promises in the Word of God just for you and just for me. And all the promises of God's Word are there to meet specific needs within our life. There's hardly any area of our life that I can think of that there's not a promise of God to cover it. I can't think of anything that we need from God or need for the walk in this world that's not covered in the Word of the living God. And if we would blow the dust off of this thing and get in the Word of God and let the Word of God get into us, I believe we could see those promises fulfilled more and more and more within our life. In essence, we don't need to ignore the promises. We need to take time to discover them. So in essence, we hold, uh, we sold the promises out for other, other things of less value. But my friends, don't sell your birthright. Don't sell your priesthood, and don't sell out the promises of God. And don't sell your power as a child of God, as did Esau himself. Don't trade your spiritual authority for short-lived pleasures of sin. For just like the firstborn in ancient society, God gave them authority. He's given us power over sin. He's given us the ability to keep the bitter root of sin from taking root within our hearts. Know what he said. Verse 15, see to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile you. Friend, we don't have to let sin take root in our life. You and I cannot stop a bird from flying over our head. That's his privilege. But we don't let him sit there and build a nest in our hair. We have the ability to shoo him away, get rid of him. We can't help the thoughts that Satan puts in here, but we don't have to dwell on them. We can put them under the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lord. We don't have to let the bitter root spring up. Instead, when all sin, we all sin, but we need to confess it and forsake it, admit it and turn away from it before it takes roots in our life, before it destroys us, and not only us, but it hurts people that we come in contact around us. I read a story 
by a man by the name of Matt Woodley in Chicago, Illinois. Matt had a friend by the name of Steve. Steve was apparently a good old guy. But a man came and stole Steve's wife away from him, married her, and moved to Florida. Steve got angry. He got bitter. Hatred. He got in trouble with the law. He was arrested in his day of court. The man who stole Steve's wife was in the court mocking Steve while he was in the trial. On the way out the door when Steve was sentenced, his, that man that stole his wife gave him the bird, if you know what I'm talking about, the Hawaiian salute, whatever you want to call it. That middle finger. Don't mean come here. I'm not sure what it means, but you don't do it. The man was eat up with anger, hatred. And finally one day Steve talked after about so many months, 19 months I believe it was, he talked to his friend Matt. He said, Matt, my ex-wife and that slime bucket is coming to Chicago next week. I've bought a 38 pistol. It's loaded and I'm going to dust him when he shows up. I hate him. I hate what he's done. I hate what he's done to me. And I've already thought it through. I'm 63 years of age. I'll have full rest of my life in jail, but I'll have dental care. I'll have visionary care. I'll have health care. I'll have three square meals a day. I thought it through. I'm willing to go to jail because I want to seem dead. That bitter root of sin. He couldn't think rationally. His friend Matt said, I feel sorry for you, Steve. You're already in jail. You've made a prison house of your own thinking. You're already in jail of hatred. The man you hate is free. You're imprisoned. The man you hate is, is, is controlling you from afar and from a distance. That guy's free, but you're a prisoner of your own fate. You're slowly killing yourself. And unless you forgive him, you'll be trapped for the rest of your life, not just behind bars, but in the prison house of your own mind. He said, but forgiveness is impossible with me. And Steve said, I'll pray. A week or so later, Steve called up his friend Matt. And he said, I've been thinking about what you're saying. I got rid of my gun. I can't do this. But I'm asking, would you pray for me would you pray for me that Jesus will release me from this hatred? The good news is, church, we have already been released yes. through Jesus Christ, yes. the Lord. Hatred is a terrible thing. We all have been hurt. We all have been wounded. And if you've not been hurt yet in church, hang on because you probably will be. Well, it's a church. Yeah, we're made up of people that's been saved. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. Sheep bite. I didn't say she. I said sheep. Sheep bite. Maybe she can too, but sheep bite. Jesus said, the wounds I received, I received in the house of my friends. Sometimes we hurt people intentionally. Sometimes we do it accidentally. But it's still the pain. It's still the same. And often when we're hurt, we want to show people our wounds. And look what they did to me. Look what they said to me. I bleed here. I bleed there. Look at my, my basket case. And we want people to bow down and say, I'm so sorry for what. They're not going to do that. They're not going to come running you and say, I'm sorry what I did. Maybe some will. So, but the point being is this. We've all been wounded. But we've got to find enough grace in our hearts to forgive people 
the same way the Lord has forgiven me. If I cannot forgive people, and let me tell you, I've gone through it all. I've been falsely accused. I've been laughed at and made fun of, gossiped about, you name it, it's happened. It's part of it. It comes with the territory. Do I like it? Absolutely not. Did I get angry? Absolutely did. Did I want revenge? You know it. I'm a country hillbilly. This thing goes quick. But by the grace of God, it's got to go like that quick. Turning the other cheek doesn't prove what we can take. It proves what Jesus Christ can give. Grace. And if God Almighty can forgive me for all of my sins, why do I not want to forgive those who have hurt me? And when I forgive those who've hurt me, I've relinquished the whole thing and I've given it to God. Now God can do with that person as he, is, he chooses. Yeah. If he wants to bless them, bless the socks off of them. If he wants to put them in, hit them in the head, that's fine. Now I must be honest, sometimes I do like, I, I feel like I do somewhat like David of old. I read in 1 Kings, I love this, I love it. David's a man after God's own heart. He brings his son Solomon, and well, you're going to be the king. Now, you know, obey the word, do the law of Moses, and God will prosper you, and one of our, one of our family will be on the, on the throne for eternity. However, son, so-and-so really made me mad. You're a wise man. You'll know what to do. And over here, so-and-so, remember, he did this to us as well. I promised I wouldn't hurt him, but I hope you give him a bloody bath, son. Good. And we all feel that way from time to time. I don't make it up. It's in 1 Kings. Read it. I'm not advocating this what we do. What I'm saying is we give it to God, and we let God do what he wants to do. But when you and I forgive others, it's really bringing liberty to our own lives and getting us out of a prison house of root of bitterness. And sometimes that's so hard to do. I know. My skin's just like yours. We pastored a lady up in Virginia many years ago, and that woman was so full of hatred for one individual. She said, I refuse to forgive, I won't forgive, I can't forgive, if I go to hell, I go to hell, but I'm not forgiving her. That's dangerous, church. We gotta find the grace of God, go after the grace of God. Noah saw grace, and God was able to give it to him. The good news is Jesus has already released us from the power of sin in our lives through the death of the cross. As we depend upon him, we don't need to let bitterness and anger or worry or any other sin take root in our lives and bring damage. Verse 16 also says we don't have to let the things like sexual immorality ruin our lives. We can turn from sin and turn totally over to God as well. I want to come to a close. Don't sell your birthright. Don't forfeit your inheritance like Esau did. Don't sell your priesthood. Don't sell the promises of God for something good here and now. Good is the enemy to best. Instead, enjoy your inheritance, right, as children of God. Be the kings that you are. Be the priest that you are. Be the child of God that he's made you to be. Years ago, my, well, even this, I used to say this all the time to my kids. This morning at 6 o'clock, my daughter on her way to work, she texted me and said, Love you, Daddy. It meant a lot to me this morning. I wrote back and said, I love you too, little girl. And I said, act like somebody. I told my kids that every day they leave, I'd say, act like somebody. Church, act like somebody because you are somebody. 
You look in the mirror and you may not like what looks back, but you're somebody. I tell people I was ugly and I was born, they slapped my mother instead of me. <laughs> you may not be who you think you ought to be, but you're somebody in Jesus. Yeah. Act like somebody yeah. because you are somebody. You're the apple of God's eye. If you're the only person on this earth that was full of sin, Jesus would have come and died for you. I know your life's not what you want it to be. I know you're not where you want to be. I know that situations are not like you want them. I know that family relationships are askew. I know that there's sickness in you. I know all of that, but he does. I can't help you in those areas. You've got to work out your own salvation. I can't help myself sometimes, but I can go to the one who can. The enemy wants to steal our birthright. If we're not careful, we'll cooperate with him and we'll go down to the porcelain potty when he wants us to be full of glory of God.